Fred, you guys. That song is so good. I, I asked Lori, I go, you know what song we haven't done in a while is Your Mercy. She pulls it out. There it is. Your kindness leads us to repentance. How kind is our God? We don't tend to think of God, one of his attributes is kindness. Is he not kind to us or what? How's the volume on this? I know with Norm, we are really testing your ability to hear. Um, we're going to work on that, but uh, is the volume okay on this? So, uh, Last week, I asked you to put together a, um, your sheet of scorn, which is kind of an interesting exercise. Uh, I asked you to draw a square on your, your notes, and who would be on your sheet of scorn? Who are those people that God has you wanting to love, but you're having a tough time loving them? I'm going to tell you who's on my sheet of scorn. It's anyone who comes into Sozo Coffee with an outside drink or food item. God tests me in this this week. My sheet of scorn was filled with, a, with customers who thought, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and bring my own beverage and my own food into Sozo Coffee, which in my world is the most scornful thing you can do. So a guy walks into the, to the shop this week carrying Starbucks coffee and Starbucks pastry. I mean, I should have just cursed him right then and there. So usually when that happens, I, I kind of give him a minute, and, uh, and then I walk up, and I'm just like, hey, you know what? I uh, hate to be the bearer of bad news, but no outside food or drink is allowed. And, and so can I just establish this with us this morning? If you're frequenting a place that sells food and beverage, don't bring your own food and beverage in there. Can I get an amen from somebody? Please, just respect the, the should, and if you're going someplace like a coffee shop, purchase something. Luckily, we don't have to deal with that too much. So that's the second person on my sheet of scorn. Is not, first is the person that brings their own food and beverage in. Second is the person that doesn't, doesn't buy anything. That's the second. There's levels in, of hell, in hell for those kind of people, just so you guys know. So I go up to this guy, and um, I said, hey, no outside food or drink is, is, uh, is allowed, but you can go ahead and sit on the patio because that's where all Starbucks consumers should sit, in the outer darkness. We call it the outer darkness. Um, so... What does he not do? He doesn't go out on the patio. You know what he does do is he consumes his drink and pastry right where I had addressed the issue. So I'm going, okay, Lord, I see what's going down, right? Like, you're, you're really testing me. So I'm, gonna, I'm giving this guy 15, 30, 60 minutes, hour and a half. And there's a couple of guys that are like, they're like, they're, they're my posse. They're, they're my, they're my coffee posse that hangs out. And I went up to one of them. I just said, Hey, just so that you know, right now in my heart, there's some, there's some ill intent going on. There's some evil thoughts going on. And uh, this guy looks at me and goes, Hey, there's two, three guys here. You know, we got you, we got you on this. Right. So I'm like, and I'm just kind of seething, right? You know, sheet of scorn. Like, Lord, I know you're asking me to love all people, but this person is really tough to love right now. And just at that moment, I want to get ready to walk across the cafe and do the ultimate in confrontation. He gets up, goes to the counter, and orders a drink and some food. And I just was like, hey, you know, I appreciate you doing that. And he goes, I love this place. I want to support this place. So all of a sudden, the scorn's so slowly disappearing out of my heart, right? You know? And uh, he gives me his name, and it's, a, and it's a Spanish name, and so I give him my Spanish name, which is Pablo, and I usually follow it with Escobar, and I don't mean to be that as far as intimidation, but, you know, 
I go to Mexico, I go, my middle name's Paul, so I can go by Pablo, right? So, but when I go to Mexico, I go Pablo Escobar, everyone goes, oh, okay, Pablito Escobar, I see what you're talking about, right? So uh, we exchanged, and, and seriously, since then, he's been in every day purchasing, 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 purchasing. And I'm thinking to myself, what was going on inside me? What was going on inside me that I just felt like, you know, this is the line of demarcation, friend, enemy. If you don't buy something from me, then, but you know what? We've been doing this 12 years. People, 99.9% .9 of the time, people buy stuff. Maybe one, twice I've had to kick somebody out and, I, and it just doesn't feel good, right? And I'm thinking to myself, what was it in my heart and my mind that I was just starting to seethe over this person in there? And that, we end up being like best bros, like fist pumping each other, like, what's going on? Good to see you again, right? Like how quickly God changed my, my scorn into, into sympathy, into the sweetness of friendship. And so I don't know where you've been, but I, man, I mean, I'm, that may sound like a silly story, but I think we all have people that are on our sheet of scorn that we have a hard time loving, that we have a difficult time accepting. You know, this is what we've been talking about. And just when you thought last week was like, okay, now we can move on from this topic. We don't, have, we don't get to move on today. We get to still talk about how God has called us to love the unlovable. He's called us to love the people who don't maybe play according to our rules. He's called us to love people who are different than us. Because why? God shows no partiality. Isn't that amazing? Turn to Acts chapter 10. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to navigate about six points. So I'm going to double the typical pastor's three-point outline and go crazy and hog wild on you today. Um, six points. We're going to navigate these things um, very, very quickly. But what I love about this section is that I think God gives us a picture of the openness of two men that we've been looking at. Cornelius, who's a Gentile centurion. He's a commander over 100 uh, men in his, in, his, in his military outfit. Uh, we're looking at Peter, who's a Jewish fisherman, who uh, God has, has brought from, from failure to just doing incredible things for the kingdom. And God's working in both these men's lives, and he's going to bring them together supernaturally. And they're both open, they're both receptive, and that's kind of the theme I want to play off with you this morning is that um, the, the openness, the, the acceptance of things that God throws in our way, how receptive are we are? How, how are we when it comes to keeping in step with the Spirit, taking cues from God, being the men and women that God's called us to be in this world where I would say to you that as the church, as followers of Christ, we, we don't need to have sheets of scorn. We don't need to be judging people. We don't need to be withholding love, but we need to show grace and kindness to all people, just like God has shown kindness to us because it's kindness that leads us to repentance. And maybe that's probably one of the biggest things is that you kill your enemy with kindness and perhaps through your kindness, which God has shown you, you can win over that person that you thought you could never ever love. You could never ever accept. You could never ever show grace or mercy to. And so I think when we, we and that's the gospel, right? God has shown us kindness when he didn't have to. He could have judged us, condemned us to hell, been totally right and just to do that, but he doesn't. He shows us kindness in the greatest Demonstration of kindness is that while we were at sinners, Christ dies for us. And so what can we learn as we continue in this account where these, this meeting between Cornelius and Peter, which hasn't happened yet, is going to happen with us this morning. So turn to Acts chapter 10. This is such an important moment in the book of Acts that Luke records it three times. It takes up two chapters 
right? There are major, major things happening in this, and Luke does not want us to get away from it. The biggest being that this is going to be the, the moment the gospel goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, to Gentile territory. And then once this happens, look out. God is unleashed, and he's going to bring men and women to himself from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Because that's the, that's the picture. The gospel isn't just for white people. Can I get an amen? The gospel isn't for educated people, just for educated people. Amen. The gospel isn't just for those who drive import Japanese cars. Amen. The gospel's for everybody. And so let's read the passage. Let's look at the six things I think are going to be important for us to, to wrap our minds around. As you know, there's been a series of visions. There's a vision given to Cornelius, who's a, a, a God-fearing person. He's, he's, he prays a lot. He gives a lot, but he doesn't have Jesus. Which is, which is a dangerous thing, right? To be religious, but yet not have relationship. I'm going to stress every day and twice on Sunday that it's relationship with God that matters, not your rit ritual, not your religious duties. Cornelius needs Jesus. Angel says, Cornelius, you need to go seek out this guy, Peter. He's got a message for you. Peter, who does have Jesus, guess what his role is going to be in this whole account? He's going to bring Jesus to Cornelius. So an angel appears to Cornelius. Angel appears to Peter. Cornelius sends a couple guys, go get Peter, bring him to his house. The meeting happens right after Peter has a vision of a sheet falling from, from heaven. On it are all sorts of animals, right? Remember, it was the first instance of pigs on a blanket. So we, we talked about that last week. And yes, I do love food. And boy, that does make me hungry, but we'll, we'll save that for later. And God says to Peter, stop with your discrimination. Stop with your prejudices. Stop writing people off, considering people, some people not worthy of the gospel. You need to show all people love because every single person born into this world is a potential recipient of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Peter goes, okay, he, he, he understands it in theory, but he has yet to learn it in practice. That's what's going to happen. So verse 23, Acts 10. So he invites Cornelius's men in and gives them lodging. And then the next day he arises and goes away with them and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanying him. And on the following day he enters Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. You think Cornelius is excited Peter's coming to visit? This guy's so excited, right? He falls down and worships him, but Peter raises him up and says, stand up, I too am just a man. Circle that phrase, we'll come back to it. And as he talked with them, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And you know, the king of raising objections would be Peter. So he doesn't. So he's learning. He's growing. And I ask you now, what reason have you sent for me? Cornelius says, four days ago, this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, angel. And he says, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Pretty cool. Send, therefore, to Joppa, invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you, and he is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. 
And so I sent to you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, then there were, here we are all present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Every preacher, pastor, wishes for this kind of moment. Peter opens his mouth, and he begins to say to them, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he has sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea. I like how he calls it the thing, right? This is the, 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 the crucifixion. He's talking about the cross. Starting from Galilee after the baptism, which John proclaimed, right? Jesus incarnate comes, dwells among us. You know this Jesus now, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him on the third day, granted that he should become visible, not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us who ate and drank with him. There's eating and drinking again, spiritual case for eating. Thank you very much. All right, we'll talk about that later. After he arises from the dead and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And while Peter was still speaking, he hasn't even got to the invitation moment of his message yet. These words, the Holy Spirit falls upon all who were listening to the message and all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for, for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he asked him to stay for a few more days. Wow, may God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. Big important text here that we need to navigate. First point is this. There's a receptivity to unthinkable hospitality. These, these men are open to the unthinkable. Why? Because breaking age-old tradition of prejudice, Peter not only welcomes these Gentile visitors and sits down with them and dines with them, but he also gives them lodging for the night. This was unheard of. So for Peter to welcome these unclean Gentiles into not even his own home, but it was Simon the Tanner's house, to hang out with them, he's breaking old prejudices. But the fact that Peter then would go with these men to Gentile territory and actually enter a Gentile's house was also breaking age-old traditions. Boy, do we need to break age-old traditions, you guys. There's things we have adopted, there's things we've bought into that just are not biblical. And here is perhaps one of the most engaging, one of the most important aspects of how we break down prejudices, how we break down walls, and it's that word hospitality. Write down Romans chapter 12, write down 1 Peter chapter 4. Here's what the apostles tell you to do. Practice hospitality. Show hospitality. Be a hospitable people. You know what that means? That means you get to go to someone's house and hang out with them, and they get to come to your house and hang out with you. 
Now, I know there's someone here this morning that says, I would never want anyone to come to my house and hang out. But I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm going to make a case for this even momentarily. Our homes are the greatest ministry centers God has given to us. You know, you can sit there and go, but there's this church that built this hundred million square foot thing, and it looks, and I go, big deal. You know what's more impressive than a church with the best state-of-the-art you know, sound system and, and video system and, and theater seating? I'm just waiting for the, 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 the churches to come out with the, the chairs they have at Harkin Theaters, right? The leather chairs that just recline. Like, how comfortable are we going to make it for people? But you know what? I could care less for the best churches, building the best buildings. What I care for, and I think there's a biblical argument for this, is for us to start opening up our houses, you see two things going on here when it comes to hospitality. There is an extending of hospitality, and there's an accepting of hospitality. Hospitality works both ways, and we are sitting on the greatest real estate God has given the church, and it's called your home mortgage. We are sitting on the best real estate God has given us to do ministry, and it's not the latest, greatest church that's being built on the corner, and there's nothing wrong with that. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. That going to church and a building's bad, but we too much put too much stock in buildings. We put too much investment in buildings when we're sitting on 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 square foot of space called your home, which I believe God will use more than he'll use the state of our church down the street. We need to learn that it is less an invitation for your neighbor to come to church, wherever your church may be, and why don't you come across the street and sit at my table and have a meal with me? That's where the gospel takes place. That's where opportunities to love your neighbor as you love yourself takes place. That's, where, that's what happens when, when you decide, I'm going to be a kind person to my neighbor who doesn't look like me, doesn't act like me, doesn't think like me, doesn't drive like me, doesn't vote like me. That's where unity and harmony begins at the dinner table. You know, Luke says the Son of Man came to do three things. In the book of Luke, there's this phrase, the Son of Man came to three things. Number one, to seek and save the lost. Number two, to give his life as a ransom for many. And number three, to eat and drink with sinners. Some of you are like, where'd that third one come from? It came from the heart of God. That's where it came from. When will you wrap your mind around perhaps the greatest evangelistic thing that God has given to us? And it's perhaps this, showing hospitality. Could it be that the very act of sharing a meal with somebody is the greatest evangelistic posture we can take up in our culture now? Who are you going to invite over? Here's your homework. Who are you going to invite over? And please don't invite someone over that looks like you and acts like you and thinks like you and votes like you. When are you going to invite the person over and perhaps... There's two things at risk, relational risk and reputational risk. Because someone may pull up to your car, your house, and a neighbor goes, what are they doing associated with so-and-so? I sit there and go, that's good. Because then they not say, Jesus, isn't he a friend of sinners and tax collectors? When are we going to adopt that moniker? Go to the places where you may think it's unthinkable to share Jesus, because that might be the very place that God wants you to be. 
When are you going to extend hospitality and invite someone over to what God has blessed you with? Whether it's a house you own or whether it's a house you rent, it doesn't matter. Whether it's a house on concrete or a house on wheels, it doesn't matter. Because this is not about where you live. This is about the life you are living. When are you going to extend hospitality and invite somebody over? And when are you going to accept hospitality when the moment someone says, will you come over, you're automatically going, but I have nothing in common with this person. Well, here's one thing you do have in common. You both have to eat. Ooh, there we go, eating. See, eating is a spiritual gift, and that's true in my world. I remember doing these deacon dinners. And, you know, if you've been to our house, if you missed the deacon dinner, you've got to wait for the next rotation of them, which I think will happen in five years. So, you know, good luck on that. But I invite, we invite you over. We bring food out. We hang out. And people are like, this is the best time, right? And I remember someone saying the first time they came over, they said, I was a little suspicious of the whole deacon dinner thing. Like, why are we going to Pastor Scott's house? Some people would say, why are we going to Pastor Scott and Pastor Lori's house? She likes Pastor Lori title. Don't call her pastor, call her first lady. And we're getting her designated spot, parking spot outside soon. So just so you guys know, first lady parking. She's first lady. Okay. So they go, why are we going to Pastor Scott's house? And they literally told me, we thought it was like a multi-level marketing thing. Because that's so me. That is so me, right? Like, come on over. Let me show you the pyramid here. And uh, get rid of suspicion. Get rid of second guessing. Get rid of all the doubt. Get rid of the, what's the motive? Why do they want to meet with us? My wife and I have this funny joke when we pull up to somebody's house. Like, what are we going to talk to them about? I go, I don't know. And that's kind of the fun part about it. You just go and you get to know one another. Get good at asking questions. Get good at being inquisitive about someone's life. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What do you like? What are your hobbies? How long have you been married? How many kids do you have? How many people have you murdered? I don't know. Whatever you want to call, whatever you want to talk about. But do you, do, you, do you hear what I'm saying? Peter is realizing, like, this is ministry. Having people into my home that don't look like me and, ha and having a connection with them and going someplace where I would never, ever go, but going because, guess what? Maybe you've been invited there. Maybe God wants you there. All I know is we need to give up on our holy huddles that are making no difference in time and eternity and reaching people's souls who are apart from Christ. And all God's people said, I think we could just pray and just go home at this point. Why do we need to go through 10 more points? No, five more points. Here we go. Number two, these two men are being receptive to unacceptable people. So here, kind of builds on the hospitality thing. You're not going to hang around people that maybe uh, in the community are well thought of. He's Jewish, Peter. He gets to go hang out with the Gentiles. What are his friends going to say about this? What are they going to think about it? Big deal. This is where relational and reputational risks come into play. You, you may have people that don't like the people you hang out with. But your desire to connect them to Christ, I sit there and go, be gone, friend. Right? Like, your reputation, like, what's your reputation? Too many of us are protecting our reputations. The only reputation you need to have is someone who desperately loves Jesus. And so here's Peter going, all right, we're going to go to Cornelius' house in Caesarea. This was considered dirty, unclean, filthy territory. The Jews thought the Gentiles as dogs. Matter of fact, write that down, dog. They were unclean, filthy, scavenging animals. And Peter is being moved by God to go to the unclean, filthy scavenging animals. Now notice Joppa and Caesarea, they're about 30 miles away. It's a two-day journey. 
Peter, in the next chapter, says he takes six dudes with him, which I like. It's kind of like his, his henchmen, maybe. I don't know. Maybe if there's going to be a little bit of a, a, a scrappy fight going on in Caesarea among the, you know, the Gentiles, maybe they don't play fair. They don't play nice. Peter takes six others. You know why? Because according to seven witnesses, a case is validated. So Peter takes six other homies with him, seven of them, three of Cornelius's guys. There's 10. There's a party of 10 walking 30 miles for two days. You think they're getting to know one another? And here's what I think happens. And I'm reading between the lines. These guys are getting to know each other. 30 miles in two days. I forgot what comedian says. You know what? Men can go out golfing. You can sit four hours plus in a golf cart with another person and come home and your wife goes, oh, so you golfed with J you know, Jason. How did it go? Good. What's going on in his life? I don't know. Wait, you spent four hours in a golf cart together and you don't know what's going on in each other? Like, what, what do guys talk about? Beer? <laughs> golf? <laughs> the weather? But you're, you're walking 30 miles, two days, with there's 10 dudes. Guess what's happening? You're getting to know one another. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is how your heart softens to the people that God is trying to reach that sometimes we look down at that we consider less important than us. When you spend time talking to somebody different than you, God breaks down your heart. And he, what he shows you is that someone of a different culture, someone of a different life, lifestyle can be loved can be accepted. And nothing helps your perspective than those that you spend time with. And I'm going to tell you right now, time with somebody else, if you're truly desiring to get to know them, it does nothing but enlarge your heart. So these guys are walking. And here's what I think is happening with Peter and, and his, his posse. The cultural differences are taking a back seat and the spiritual need is rising to the occasion. When you really begin to talk to somebody, whatever surfacey differences you thought were important will fade away and the spiritual need will become evident. Does that make sense? How quick we are to judge, how quick we are to condemn, how quick we are to call out the person with the Starbucks coffee and, and food. And, and we already know they're lesser people. That's okay. We already know they're lesser people. I say that jokingly. Some people are like, is he serious right now? No, I'm not. I'm not serious. What you need to do is you need to look beyond the thing that, that bothers you, that annoys you, that frustrates you, and get down below the surface. Just this week, again, last week I was talking about when I was sitting down with my dad and we were talking about Biden and Trump, which, you know, if you don't know who those two guys are, they, they, they tend to create a lot of controversy and, and opinions and someone, you know, people are like, man, I've had a hard, so many people texted me and said, I've had a hard time thinking of three positive things to say about Trump. Or someone texted me, I've had a horrible time trying to think of three positive things about Biden. And I go, here's the second question. What makes you better than either one of those two guys? You have a hard time thinking about it. Well, what makes you better? And then I tell you what, that's the humble question right there. Talk about eating a piece of humble pie. You are no better than anybody else. Didn't Norm touch upon that in his communion message today? Pride. What's at the center of pride? What letter? I. Whenever you think of someone more important than yourself, you are not dialed into what Christ wants. And so we need to re be receptive 
to unacceptable people. So look what it happens, chapter, chapter 10, verse 23. 24, so on the following day, they enter Caesarea, so they're in Gentile, dog, scavenger, unclean, dirty territory. They go to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is waiting. This guy's super excited. It's been three days. It's almost like Cornelius every day is at the window going, are they here yet? Well, number three point is this. We ought to be receptive to uncomfortable encounters because I'm going to tell you right now, this starts out a bit uncomfortable. Look at verse 25. And when it came about that Peter entered Cornelius' home, and I'm going to tell you that this was a big place. Cornelius is a big player. He's got quite a bit of property. He's got people who work for him. He's overseen 100 soldiers. He's got a lot of family. He's got a lot of friends. As soon as Peter enters, Cornelius meets him and falls at his feet and worships him. Can you say awkward? See, there's two things going on here, and I love this. Peter is being worked on by God to not treat Cornelius as a dog, while Cornelius is being worked on by, on, by God to not think of Peter as a god. Both men have to learn something about humility, humility at this point. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Peter could have taken the, the showing of honor as something like, yeah, I am all that. Thank you for acknowledging my greatness. The greatness. The big fisherman has arrived. Kiss my ring. But he doesn't. I mean, if you think about this, this is awesome because God has been preparing both these guys. Both of them are showing humility, which is the first point under this. Peter displays humility, but so does Cornelius. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is probably the missing ingredient into our, in, our, in, our, in our fellowship with one another as a church. This is probably the missing ingredient when it comes to our witness to the world. A posture of humility. Both God is working on Cornelius and, and, and Peter's heart, and he's showing these men by his word that they are to act towards humility with him and with one another. And I need you to think about this because Peter walks in and here's his mentality. And this is good for us to know. He walks in knowing he's a servant, not a celebrity. You need to know wherever you may go, whatever honor, whatever, whatever prestige people are trying to show you and, and heap upon you, here's the thing you need to fight for in your heart. I am a servant, not a celebrity. Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. That is the missing ingredient, I believe, that makes our fellowship even sweeter than we could ever, ever imagine. Because here is Peter's statement to Cornelius. I, too, am just a man. He doesn't get like, hey, you know what? I know Jesus, you don't, so that makes me a little bit better, so now I know why I'm here to give you what I know. He's like, dude, here's one thing I've realized, and God's working on me, and I appreciate Peter's honesty and his transparency. He's like, God has shown me. He doesn't play favorites. God has shown me every single person born in this world stands on level ground before him. And I love the question that Peter says in verse 29. Look at it. This is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. And so I ask you at this moment, what reason have you sent for me? Literally, here's what the question says. How may I serve you now that I'm here? This is the secret sauce of connecting to the heart of Jesus. 
unless you can say this, ask this question sincerely, whatever context you may be in, I'm going to tell you right now, the more sincerely you can dial into this, no matter who you're with, the more connected to the heart of Christ you'll ever be. Wherever you go, whoever you're with, if you can just sit there and go, now that I'm here, how can I serve you? Whether you're walking through this door on a Sunday morning, whether you're walking to a neighbor's house on a Monday night, whether you're walking into wherever it may be, work, school, if the posture is this, I'm here, how may I serve you? Boy, I tell you, you are taking the way of Jesus. And by posturing and displaying humility, and hopefully it's just not a display, it's something that's here, you're going to have opportunities with people like you wouldn't believe. This is not about flexing. This is not coming in and boasting. This is not coming in and bragging. This is not coming in and don't, this is about coming in and saying, I am a servant for all of you. What does that look like in your world? Is it with a husband? Is it with a wife? Is it with kids? Is it with your neighbor? Is it with your coworkers? We need to be a church that's filled with humble believers because then you create an atmosphere of equality. You create an atmosphere, you say, you know what, no person is more important than the next. And I remember giving a message years ago, and I said, I asked this question, who in the church is the most important person? And I loved how so many people said, the pastor, and I was like, yeah, no. The most important person in any church community is the person that's struggling the most. And I think Peter's getting that, and I'm wondering, when were we going to get this? Are we, are we so addicted to easy and comfortable and, and not rocking the boat and not opening our lives or not showing interest in someone else's life that, that we think we're like in the will of God? I'm going to tell you right now, you're in the will of God when you serve other people. We should never look down on anybody. Amen, church? There is no one that's unfit to hear the gospel. Amen, church? We are not to think people unclean, too unclean for us to go into their house to share the gospel. We are not to think that anyone's not worth evangelizing. We're not to think that there are too many offensive habits that someone has that we could never get near to them. Don't write off anybody. Don't snub anybody. Love everybody. And let me just look at Jesus. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. I love this. Because Jesus is going into territory that's controversial. He's talking to a woman who is considered culturally unclean. She's been married five times. She's living with a guy that she's not even married to. That's called leasing with an option to buy. That's not God's will. He meets her in the middle of the day, and she says, you know what? I'm here to draw water. And Jesus goes, well, I'm thirsty. Can you give me a cup to drink from? Right? And this whole interchange takes place. And it's not necessarily about the physical water because he's there to offer spiritual water. But here's what I love, and here's how this connects to, to, to humility, is that Jesus is going to try to reach her, bring her to the, be a true worshiper of God, but he points out that if I am not willing to drink from your cup, literally, physically, then I have no reason trying to connect to your soul. Until you're re ready to hang out with somebody, I don't think you really care for their soul. Because people are not projects. People are people, and they're dealing with crap. Anyone got crap going on in their lives? 
And yet the goal of the church is what? When are we going to love each other in those, those messy moments? Those horrible things that are going on. When are we going to be transparent and vulnerable and share those things? Because you can protect yourself to a point where you, you lose the connection to love. It's what Lewis says. And I, don't even, I wasn't even prepared to give Lewis, but for some reason Lewis is speaking to my brain right now. To love is to be vulnerable, Lewis says. And you take your heart and protect it, wrap it in a case and make sure no one knows what's going on. But what happens in that dark, impenetrable place where there's no air, there's no love, there's no feeling, is that love will become calloused and you lose any sort of connection to God and other people. And Lewis says, don't do it. Don't do it. Which is why I love the honesty part. So Peter displays honesty because we need to develop the posture to just be a servant to all. I think honesty really comes right, like falls right in line with that. Like, I got nothing to hide. If I'm willing to wash your feet, what is there to hide about my life? You know, he admits that God's teaching him. Look, he says, God has shown me, verse 28, that I should no longer call any person unclean or unholy. I like how he's saying, like, this is what God's teaching me. Who do you have in your life where, where you're sharing, like, the things God's teaching you? And I'm not just talking about the good things. Some of you are like, oh, I'm praying more. Great. What are you struggling with? What are you wrestling with? Who are the people you can be very forthright with and transparent with that you know are not going to kick you to the curb or shoot you when you're down, but they're going to love you where you're at? Who, who are those people? I had a moment this week where if I'm going to be honest with you. You know what? I just thought to myself, you know, sometimes I pepper some, some language in my messages that maybe isn't befitting a leader. Some of you are like, what has he said? I don't go like full, like, you know, this side of the profanity scale, but I'm kind of in the PG-13 realm. But I just sit there and go, I just thought about it, and then my wife brought it up to my attention. And I was like, is that God speaking or the devil speaking through you? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you right now, in 30 years of marriage, I've learned that the voice of God sounds like my wife's voice. Amen? And she brought it up, and I said, you know what? I've been thinking about that. And just to let you know, I acknowledge that, and I go, you know what? I need to say, Sorry to the church if I've offended anybody with something I've said. Um, I understand there's all degrees of, of sensitivity out there. But as far as me being a, a messenger, you know what? There's no reason to kind of spice up my, my language as if like, oh, look at Brother Scott. He's cool because he, he says this word. You know what? I, pray for me. And I don't talk like that at home. I just talk about it in front of the church like I'm a truck driver or something like Maybe it's that inner desire to just say to the church, like, I'm going to rock your world because you live in this little holy, sanctified little bubble. So maybe it's the pastor that needs to really make you uneasy. And you know what? None of that. I, I, I'm wrong in that. I, I accept that. So I want the words that come out of my mouth to be seasoned with grace. Edifying for the moment. Ephesians chapter 4. How's that for a bit of honesty? Is that okay? All right, well, here we go. So Peter displays honesty. And can I just tell you humility and honesty? I, I was thinking about this. This is, this is like the church without makeup. 
This is the church without anything. And I was thinking about that because this week um, there was an English beauty queen that just made history without putting any makeup on her face. You guys hear about this? 20-year-old Melissa Ralph just became the first ever Miss England contestant to compete without makeup. You go, girl. Do they say that anymore? I know. I'm going to say it. You go, girl. The first, so this is the first time in a competition that's been going on 100 years. She says she wants to inspire people to feel comfortable in their own skin. And in October, she's going to go for the crown as a finalist. And she still says she's not going to wear makeup. And I sit there and go, boy, if the church adopted that stance that said, you know what? This is who I am. This is who I am. I got blemishes. I got warts. I smell, whatever. Will you still love me? Or do I have to put on some sort of external facade, some sort of external fixer-upper makeup thing and and make myself somewhat presentable to you. Here's what I'm going to say. Until we learn to love people as they are, where they are, we'll never see them as objects of Christ's affection and love. And all God's people said, yeah. Point number four. Here we go. We doing all right on time? Okay. Big deal. Uh, Receptive to unlawful principles. I love this. So, they're about ready to have the first ever cross-cultural home Bible study. Right? What's going on in Cornelius' house is Jews and Gentiles are together. First time this has ever happened. And the Bible is going to be so central, which is what I love. But how we have developed unlawful principles that aren't even based upon Scripture that we adopt and they drive our lives. Think about what Peter says here. Verse 28. He says to them, You yourselves know. So here's the idea. There's a law out there that says that it is uh, unlawful for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or visit him. So stop right there. Scour your Bibles and find out where Peter has developed this law. I'm going to save you time. It's not there. They know it's a law. Peter knows it's a law. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's not lawful. It's unlawful. Why? Because men and women have come up with their own commandments, their own principles, and it's not even based in Scripture. So here's what you need to understand, that sometimes there are man's laws that don't reflect God's heart, but there's God's laws that reflect, uh, reflect his heart. And I love this. So there's two that are going on right here in this passage. Write these down. Unbiblical principle number one, do not run around with Gentiles. (laughs) And here's Peter going, I thought it was lawful, but it's really unlawful. I'm, I'm wondering what other unlawful principles we could just go around breaking. Who are lawbreakers out there? There, There's good lawbreakers, there's bad lawbreakers, right? Unbiblical principle number one, don't run around with Gentiles. It's not biblical. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Go run around with Gentiles. Go run around with the the scavengers, the, the lawless, the dirty, the filthy, the sinners, the tax collectors. Go run around with them. This is what Peter says. But God has shown me, look at verse 28. But God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Unbiblical principle number two that's implied, God certainly doesn't speak to unbelievers. Cornelius is being spoken to by God. I think we who are 
in Christ think like, oh, we're the only ones that are, are being talked to by God. You have no idea what God is telling your neighbor. You have no, how dare any Jewish man or woman think they've got an exclusive pipeline to the Almighty because Peter says in this account that, or the angel says to Cornelius, God has seen your almsgiving. He has heard your prayers. And what has it stirred in Cornelius' heart? Two words, an eagerness and an expectancy. Write those two things down. Because what God is doing in the, law, in the heart of an unbeliever, which is unseen to us, perhaps reflects more of what God wants from the believers who have no sense of eagerness and expectancy. Can I get an amen? I mean, you walk in this building on a Sunday morning and we get to meet with one another and some of you are like, oh great, here we go again. I get to see this person, this person, and you know, I, better, I hope the band sounds good and the pastor better be bringing the heat today. And he better not cuss. But all I'm going to say is, I'm here and, you know, we don't, we fail to realize it doesn't matter the building, it doesn't matter location. What matters is that we get to come together as this congregation, this community, this family. And when we're together, we are on holy ground because God says, I love this. I've designed this. And some of you treat it as if you're just going to an HOA meeting. There ought to be an eagerness and expectancy that says, this is holy ground. We are a holy people. There is a holy God. And there's this thing called the Holy Spirit. And what God does in this entire transaction of, of relationship with him and with one another, I have no idea, but I want to be eager and expectant. This is why we preach this is one of the non-negotiables, the gathering of the saints. And guess what? I'm saying this, and, and I wasn't prepared this is, but I'm going to say it now, is that we have football season coming up, and you better be here worshiping your God in front of the altar of your television when it comes to your favorite team. Can I get an amen from somebody? Some of you are like, oh, crap. Nothing should prevent you from desiring to be with the body of Christ that you call family. Nothing I love sports, but nothing's going to stop me from being with you guys. I love vacation, and sometimes we go to church while we're on vacation. I know that's crazy. We're called Shiite Christians. That's how serious we are when it comes to our faith. But guess what? This ought to be the one time during the week more than anything else. You can't tell me something more important, but my kids got sports. Big deal. You have a spiritual body you are part of that you're going to spend forever with. And now we get the opportunity to taste the appetizer called fellowship and communion with one another. And you're going to tell me that it's not worth as much as fill in the blank? Get priorities straight. Get priorities straight. Your football team is not more important than Jesus. Amen? And anything that distracts you from this is not more important. God has put a seal of approval on this. God says, thumbs up. God says, five stars. God says, this is where you need to be. And if we treat it as something other, that's on us. And you'll be the ones calling me up saying, God's just not doing anything in my life. And I'll go, where you been? 
Where you been? Man. Whatever, whatever principles we've adopted, we, if they don't line up with Scripture, we, need to get, we just need to treat them secondary. Here's what matters most. Helping one another connect to the heart of our God. It's part of the reason why we're together. Is to help you focus upward. To help you focus on the cross. To help you focus on your identity in Jesus. And to help others who are not yet there. What greater mission is there? I just heard this week Domino's Pizza delivered a pizza to the top of Mount Fuji. Do you guys hear this? Some guy called Top Mount Fuji. I'm really hungry. Pepperoni pizza? All right, we'll be there. Estimated time, six hours. Literally, a guy carrying a bag with a pizza. Six-hour hike up Mount Fuji to deliver a pizza. How far will you go to deliver the more important message of Jesus to someone who is hungry spiritually? You like how I made that connection right there? Some of you won't go six steps to tell someone about Jesus. Some of you won't go six feet. Some of you won't even go six meters. Yeah, that's the British part of me speaking. How far will you go to be with one another and to celebrate what Christ is doing and to point others to Christ? Which is point number five. Here it is. Receptive to unpopular truth because here is where it, the, the rubber meets the road. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. And you can read it entire, the entirety, thing, entirety for yourself. Verse 34 through 43, Peter sums up the gospel. You want to know why you're there, Peter? Cornelius and his household, his friends, they need Jesus. They're God-fearing, they're devout, they pray, they give, but they don't have, their morality and religion sabotaging them. They are dissatisfied, and this is why the angel appeared to Cornelius and said, I need to bring you the satisfaction. The satisfaction is not found in your religion. Satisfaction is found in relationship. Here's the gospel, and here's the unpopular truth, is that Jesus satisfies on so many levels, right? And so Peter goes into this message and says, God sent Jesus. He was among us. He, he, he had power over the enemy. He had power over death. He had power over the demons. He's freeing people. But there's two words I want to focus on in Peter's sermon, and they are these, peace and forgiveness. Because this is the heart of the gospel. Only Jesus offers peace. This is why this is uncomfortable. This is why this is unpopular. How many people continue to try to find peace in this world apart from Christ? I'm going to tell you right now, it's not there. Why? Because we're looking for the mathematical equation. If we only do these things and put them all in the place, we're going to get peace. Peace is not a mathematical equation. Peace is a person. His name is Jesus. He is the prince of peace. And he says to the disciples, the world gives a type of peace, but it's not truly peace. But I give a peace that's unlike what the world gives. And Jesus came and he died upon a cross and he was buried and rose again on the third day. And Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, write it down, look at it later, that he in himself bore the hostility that exists between humanity and God. He tears down that wall of hostility and becomes the man of peace so that all who are now in Christ are no longer God's enemies, but now we're his 
friends. Are you kidding me? That's good news. I, I even hate the word good news. It's great news that only Jesus was able. Why? Because he's the God-man, 100% deity, 100% humanity. He comes and he identifies with us in all of our struggles and all of our trials and all of our temptations, and yet he does it without sin, and he goes to the cross for us, bearing upon himself the weight of what we deserve to pay, but God says, he'll take it for you. He's our substitute. We believe, and in faith we are saved, because why? It's God alone, through Christ alone, through faith alone, and salvation alone. And so, The person who knows Jesus is the person who has eternal peace. And may I remind you that peace is not the absence of difficulty. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the heart that is right before God no matter what may be going on externally. And in Isaiah 26, I love the passage, perfect peace comes to the one whose heart is steady on God. He's our anchor. He's our strong tower. He's our refuge. He is the one who's God at all. And so if we stay linked to him, doesn't matter what's going on around us, our hearts are at peace. But the peace comes... Secondly, because Jesus offers, and only Jesus offers forgiveness. And this is man's deepest need, and yet it's God's highest achievement. Everyone in this world deals with a level of hopelessness and despair and guilt and shame. And Jesus comes and says, I want to, I want to alleviate that from you and forgive you because bearing our own sins is, is, is too much for us. And yet Jesus, the God-man, comes and bears all of our sins. Hallelujah, what a Savior. It's great to know that my past will never be counted against me. My future is more certain than I could ever, ever imagine. And presently I can stand before you and say I'm the one who Jesus loves. And I've been set free by his grace. And I've been set free because of his mercy. And I've been set free because of his kindness. Do I deserve it? Not at all. But he has given me the greatest gift. And that is saving me from my sins and giving me his righteousness. And now in him I have eternal life and no one could ever separate me from the Father's love in Christ. This is not a popular message. These are not popular truths. Because for some reason, men and women still think they're going to they're gonna do it their way. They're going to go to the grave singing Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Well, how's that working out for you? This is about God's way. And the point we close with, because this is continuing the next week, right, is the receptive, that they're receptive to unpredictable transformation. Here's Peter delivering the message. He's, He's delivering, he's delivering the goods. He's pointing these people to Christ. And before he can even finish, the Holy Spirit breaks forth and transforms this place. Look at verse 44. While he's speaking, the Holy Spirit falls upon these people. And here they are. 
They start speaking in tongues, right? They, they're, they're exalting God, and Peter goes, wow, never saw this coming. And that's the way God works. Remember Nicodemus, Jesus? You know how the Spirit works? We don't know. It's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going, but you see the effects of it. And it's happening with these people. This would have never happened had Peter stuck to his prejudices. This would have never happened if, if Peter was reluctant to get rid of whatever discriminatory thoughts he had about some other class of people. But he was obedient. He was open. He's receptive. And God uses this, this fisherman, imperfect in all his ways, to fulfill the promise and plan of God that the gospel would go forth even to the Gentiles. We'll pick this up next week. But, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot get away from the fact of this. Peter and his crew, because they're all in amazement. They are not the operatives. I think so many times we think we're the operatives in God's work. God says this, you're my witnesses. You have no control over where you're going and who you're going to come in contact with, and you can't change someone's life. You can't change the disposition of their hearts. You can't change their, their mentality. All you can do are be witnesses. Testify to what God is doing. Peter does that. But he points him to Christ because only Christ can save. Your testimony and what you witness to, is a, it's called pre-evangelism. But the true gospel is the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. Don't, don't tell me you're sharing the gospel with people when you're only telling them God loves them. The gospel incorporates the cross and resurrection. If there's no cross or resurrection, there's no gospel. And the spirit falls and works over Cornelius' mansion. And these people are praising God and all Peter can do is be like, Awesome! They are now children of Abraham, just like Peter is. Here's what I'm going to pray for all of us with, and I have been praying, and I'll continue to pray, and I want you to pray this for me, is if we believe in this, what I'm presenting to you, if we, if we, if we really treat, treat our homes as perhaps the, the greatest spiritual centers of the world, our houses, if, if we're truly the ambassadors and the witnesses that God wants us to be, if, if what happens out there is more important than what happens in here, this is important, but your presence in the world where you're there six days a week where you're only here an hour and a half on a Sunday, you, you're ambassadors. As a matter of fact, I was thinking, Papua New Guinea, has anyone ever been to New Guinea? So they grow coffee in New Guinea. I just want to go there just because coffee. They did the first time, first thing in history no other government has ever done. Papua New Guinea appointed a minister of coffee to their governmental offices. Can I just tell you right now, like, why didn't anyone call me and tell me about this position? Why? Because Papua New Guinea believes that this is the most important part of their expansion as a government in connecting not only to their people, but to the world. And so what do they do? They put their money where their math, mouth is and they say, if this is so important, we need to appoint a minister of coffee. Well, I believe 
that the gospel of Jesus is the most important thing we can be about. And so now I appoint all of you to a cabinet office called Ministers of Jesus. Because we're going to put our money where our mouth is. And if Ephesians 4 is true, and I, and I believe it is, that we're called to equip and mobilize the saints for ministry, you have some work to do out there. Go represent the king and his kingdom well. Go love people that are so unlike you that they see Jesus in you. Pray for your neighbors and pray for your coworkers so that you may have an opportunity to share the hope that's in you with gentleness and respect. So you now have a position. I'll get you your little desk placard. Minister of coffee. Wouldn't that be awesome? Who are you? I'm a follower of Jesus and a minister of Jesus. All right, here we go. Do you understand how weighty and how important this is? And guess what? I'm going to preach this message till the day I die. Because you, church, have no idea what it's, what, it's, what it's like to participate in the greatest kingdom work ever, and that's the work of Jesus. Who's, who's ready to step up, get their uniform, get their badge, minister of Jesus? Let's do this. All right, let's stand up. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for Acts. Thank you for the, the narrative, the account, the, the history we have before us and the, and the fact that what, what has taken place in the book of Acts is, is not unlike what's taking place in our world today. Lord, and I think we hear stories and we read of accounts of, of how the Spirit's working and how the gospel's penetrating cultures. And, and, and I pray that that would happen in our own backyard. I pray that would happen in our own cities, in our own towns, and, and within our own neighborhoods and communities. Father, may there be opportunities for us to be those witnesses you want us to be. Forgive us for the ways we have thought ill of somebody else. We have thought less of somebody else. Lord, may we adopt the heart of Christ that says we are here to serve. We are here to minister to the unlovely, the unreached, the unpopular, the uncool. Because that's who we are. We're the creeping things on that, that, that sheet. And you've chosen to love creepy things like me. Thank you. Thank you that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Help us to be men and women of extreme and unexplainable kindness. Help us to open our doors, the doors of our houses, the doors of our hearts with every person we come in contact with. Help us to make those human connections so that there may be an opportunity to connect those hearts with the heart of Christ. But Lord, you are, you are the operator in this. Help us to be those faithful vessels and vehicles you want us to be. The world is, is, is dying for hope. People are suffering in despair. But we have the message. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for loving on us and having us participate in your great work. Find us faithful to share Jesus liberally with all people. Thanks for this morning. Thank you for the church. Guide and direct our steps. Be glorified in all things. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Meet someone you haven't met before, all right? Love liberty.